Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding all the way back to April 24th, 2012. That's quite a ways back. And, uh, of course, we're doing these rewinds this week because I am living free in Tennessee with Nicole Sauce and a bunch of great people up there and uh, attending Nicole's workshop and instructing at it, because she was good enough to do the same at three of mine so far, and I just felt it was the right thing to do. And also, it's just a cool thing to be able to get up there with some really great members of the TSP community, and I'm sure there's people up there that are able to attend that workshop. It's a lot easier for them than coming to one down here, so people I would not get to see otherwise. So that's why I'm up there this week, and that's why you'll be getting rewinds all week long. This one is originally episode 887, and how, it was called How to Talk to Others About Prepping. I chose this one today for a variety of reasons. One, because this is the show, I think it's the only show, that I actually played content from Zello, the TSP Zello group, on the show. I actually recorded uh, a brief conversation with them as part of the show, and I know there will be many of what they call themselves zealots. Uh, in Tennessee, and I'm sure we'll be on the Zello channel during the workshop. So I thought that was just kind of fitting. And then the next thing was that this is a subject that as long as I've been doing this show, I've gotten questions on. When I was doing this show and I was in the single digits, I, and I got like three people emailing me, one of them was like, hey man, how do I get my, you know, so my brother or whatever to take this stuff seriously? They don't think they need to worry about it. And, you know, just last week, I, got, I have been trying to explain to my, my in-laws how important it is, not for the zombie apocalypse, but just, and nobody, want, okay, so, like, this is a timeless show. And while some things may have changed a little bit um, over the years, the core is the same. And the core is common sense and knowing human psychology enough to know how to not shut people down. So... What you get in this episode is, look, here's how to have a discussion that doesn't come off like you're a fruit bat, even if you would not think that you sound like a fruit bat. And here's kind of how this works. Um, many, many years ago, when I was going through different sales training, because I spent most of my life in sales, I remember the sales trainer, and he had a person stand up in the room, and he walked over today. He said, now put your hand up, you know, like you're swearing in on uh, the military or swearing on the Bible or whatever. Just put your right hand up, right? So I want you to just put your right hand up. So the guy puts his right hand up. He walks up to the guy. He takes his right hand, and they put their palms together. So you know, think like, like, like if you would do it to yourself, like you're praying with your hands up, right? So he puts his hand up to this guy's hand, and he very gently pushes this guy's hand back. And the first thing that guy does is push back. He resists. And then he said, thank you for that, and sit down. And he said to him, but why, did you, why did you push back? I didn't ask you to push back, so what made you feel the need to push back? And the guy said, well, I, I really don't know. And this trainer said, you pushed back because I pushed first. And when you're selling, he said, you have a, a, a strong innate desire. And to be a good salesperson, you have to have an assertiveness and an aggressiveness in the first place. Uh, so since because you have that naturally, you have a tendency to go for it, go for the deal, go, you know, what have you. And, you know, many of you have been trained, especially if you came up through, you know, maybe, you know, your first sales job was kind of like a door-to-door -door thing or something uh, that, that was very consumer, you know, business to consumer instead of business to business. Maybe that was reinforced in you, kind of like reinforcing for a dog to bite something by getting them to pull on it. And so many of you have to fight this thing because it's human nature that if someone pushes you, you push back. And it doesn't matter whether you're pushing them physically, or you're pushing an idea. So the way that you end up sounding our fruit bat, even when you're saying something that's completely logical, is if it feels like it's being pushed at the person and it's disturbing their comfort zone. So people like to be comfortable, right? If you think about it this way, if I come into your house and you have the thermostat set on 74 degrees in the summertime, and that's a very comfortable temperature for you, 
And I walk in and I look at your thermostat and I'm like, this sucks. It's too hot in here for me. And I drop your thermostat down to 70 degrees. That disturbs your comfort and therefore you resent me for it. Like, what are you doing changing my thermostat? And then when we take an idea like you need to be prepared for a disaster and push that at somebody, what we're saying to them is you're comfortable, but you're not supposed to be. You, 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 th there is actually discomfort that you're not aware of. Did you notice the pebble in your shoe? And they had never noticed the pebble. Now the pebble is there, and they want the pebble to go away. And as far as they're concerned, the pebble is not really there. You made the pebble there by pushing it into their life. And if you shut up and go away, the pebble will go away. Okay? And so when you're talking to people about preparedness, you need to come from a standpoint of being very advisory, and you need to think in their terms and their language. You need to use examples, and you need to not make definitive statements. Like, when this happens, this will be the result. Or what are you going to do when this happens? It's much more important to use things like, what do you think could go wrong? When they say to you, well, what are you preparing for? Instead of saying, I'm preparing for this or that or the other, or man, anything can go wrong, where you, you say what we say when we're really educated to this stuff, which is, I'm not preparing for a thing, I'm preparing for anything that knocks out systems of support. That's, that's an actual answer. But that's not going to work in that situation because you're disturbing their comfort. So by placing it back in their lap and saying something like, well, what have you ever seen go wrong in the world, you know, on TV? And on the news, not not in you know fiction. And the way you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever, and all those things can cause some problems. And all I'm doing is taking some steps so if one of those occurs, you know, we're not one of the people on TV standing in line with a gas can getting punched in the face by our next door neighbor because there's only so much gas. Just for be for one example. But that follow up would be based on whatever they gave you. You know, or how you, have your lights ever gone out? Well, yeah. Was it convenient? No. Would you like it to be more convenient? Well, maybe. It can be. Yeah, sure, it's easy. Doesn't cost much money. I'll tell you if you want to know. See, that, now we go to pulling. And effective salespeople pull. And this is one of the things you need to understand when it comes to sharing ideas. You're selling the idea. We don't think of it as selling because we're not getting a commission. There's no money involved. But you're asking a person to make a change in their life. Even if it's for the better, you're still asking them to change the temperature on that thermostat. These are things to think about as we go through today's episode. Again, rewinding back, April 24th, 2012, episode 887, How to Talk to Others About Prepping. And with a guest appearance by the Zello crew. All right, um, anyway, let's get into the main topic today, which is how to talk to other people about prepping who are not quite on board yet, or maybe they are and you don't know it, and you just want to kind of help people in your family, your friends, your church, your work, whatever, realize that we're kind of exposed in a lot of ways, and that there are times when the systems that we normally would rely on may not be available for a day, may not be available for an hour, may not, may not be available for a week. It's happened right here. There were people in the 2011 ice storm. I put up a photo of this when it happened. I knew it was going to be bad. The only thing that saved people's back ends with this was it was a very narrow storm. But when it was hitting me in Dallas, the line ran all the way out into almost El Paso, Texas, and then at an angle up to the northeast and was touching Canada. It was literally touching the Mexican border and the Canadian border in an unbroken line of ice and sleet and rain at the same time. Fortunately for everybody in its path, that line was only about 50 to 100 miles wide at some of its wider points, and in some places it was very, very narrow and broken. But that's how big that one storm was. And uh, there were people, specifically in northern Arkansas and in Kentucky, that went without power and services for up to three weeks. We had several people in the audience. So stuff does happen. So that's one example that you could give to people of something that really happened. 
And if you live in any part of the northern United States, ice and snow is a definite, you know, you don't have to really convince people that it's possible. This mild winter that we just had might have some people lulled back to sleep, but, you know, open your photo albums and if you live in the northern United States. And then in the south, we don't get a lot of snow, but we get a lot of ice, and that can do a lot of damage to power lines and trees, especially when we get it early before the leaf drop. So that's just a perfect example. But what I'd like to do before I go on any further is I'd like to talk to you about Zello and then play this little uh, two-minute clip for you that came from Zello. Zello, again, is this little app, and it just turns your like your iPhone into like a Nextel. If you remember the old Nextel, you, you hold down the thing, and it goes, cheep, cheep, and you talk, and you can talk directly to another person without making a phone call. And that's cool, and you can put in contacts and accept contacts from other people. Uh, my, my handle's Modern Survival, by the way, and you can go directly person to person. But what's more cool is you can set up a channel. And anybody can set up a channel. This is all completely free, by the way. And once you have that channel set up, anybody that joins that channel can talk to each other all at the same time, like a chat. And that is what you're about to hear. Now, here's another thing you can do. If you wanted to set one up just for your work or just for your your uh, your home, like your family or whatever, and I wouldn't say this is like totally secure from the government or anything like that, but if you wanted to make it just for you guys and keep everybody else out of your way, you can password protect the channel and only people with access to the password uh, can get in. That's not what we've done here. Anybody at all can join the TSP chat uh, TSP uh, channel and uh, and talk to each other. So this morning, again, what I did was I said, hey, guys, I'm going to do this show today on how to talk to others about prepping. What has worked for you and what obstacles have you run into? And the one thing I want to tell you before I play the clip is it's going to go a lot faster than it goes on Zello because I'm playing it out of the history function. So I don't know how great the audio will be when it gets to your end. This is off of my iPhone, and all I did was start where I wanted in the history hit play and hold it up to my condenser mic, the speaker of the iPhone to the condenser mic. So what you're going to hear is more rapid than it goes on the net. Generally, you'll have fairly long pauses while people wait to make sure no one else is speaking before they key up and talk back. Same kind of rules as if you were on a ham radio net or a well-run CB group on a CB channel, you know, waiting till the thing's clear. Also, if you do jump on Zello... Uh, once you log into the channel and you're on the channel, any channel, not just ours, give it 30 seconds and wait to see if anybody's already got a conversation going before you jump in. Just a little etiquette thing. And if you don't, just, you know, you know, introduce yourself and say you're there. Uh, you'll hear that. And, uh, about two minutes of people giving me feedback for today's show. This is what Zello's like. Good morning, all. Howdy. Roger that. Welcome, team member. Anyway, guys, today's show is going to be about how to talk to people about prepping without turning them off. Um, I'll be heading into the office in just a bit and be listening the whole way. Anybody has anything you've run into that's worked or not worked or resistance, things that cause resistance or whatever, just let me know, and I'll try to work it in today. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Something that's caused resistance in our preparedness? No, in talking with other people, have you run, you know, anything you've run into, if you've tried to talk about preparedness with other people that's caused immediate resistance, or anything that's worked well? I like to compare it to having car insurance in a spare tire. used a, a mod, not a modified version, a simplified version of your whole, like, um, you know, I, I can't remember what you called it, but basically you're more likely to lose your job than you are to face Mad Max type scenario. And when I talked about it that way, people were like, oh, yeah. Having uh, facts together about current economic situations seems to speak uh, a lot to people's fears um, and concerns. With each person, you've got to find something that they're interested in, introduce them to preparedness through that, then kind of leave it at that before you bring up the next thing for a while. I am digging Zello. You guys are doing all my work for me this morning. I to set up a family network just so uh, we can stay in contact with each other, um, especially during times where sales stuff gets really busy. This seems to be a nice way to do things. Use the system that's already in place. I was able to tell the folks that I meet with every week, last week, I'm always talking about how Jack says that it's whether something something may happen differently to other people. It may not hit my fan or, or your fan, um, but last week I got a notice in the water bill that said that there was high contaminants last year. Um, Simply because we're using our Berkey, we were we were protected from that, and it wasn't an economic collapse or what have you. It was just simply a mistake on the water department's problem. 
On that last transmission, so when you got that notice, the damage had already been done, correct? Absolutely, the damage had already been done. It was it was last year, and I called my buddy who was in wastewater treatment. He said it was nothing, uh, no big deal, but it was haloacidic acids, which are carcinogenic and cause developmental problems in the brain and attack organs. Uh, so if, if you'd have been filtering your water in your home, a simple filter would have done it, uh, but that would have protected you. Actually, too, uh, uh, something on the, the level of how to reel somebody in from, from the, the crazy edge <laughs> would be uh, would be awful helpful, too. Uh, well, that conversation continued on uh, all the way into the office, and it I, I had to I dropped out of it while I was on the Edge Network and using four-wheel drive and trying to keep from spilling my coffee and came back in, and we had a great conversation, some suggestions for the show. Uh, it, was, it was a great, cool thing, and I think that Zello itself can be one of the tools you can use to help people get on board with the concept of preparedness. You don't even have to bring them on the TSP channel. You know, set up a little channel with a few of your buds from work or whatever, or your own family, and just when you're going to talk to somebody that you think maybe you'd like to share the message with, just say, hey, let me show you this cool app. Check how this works. And just, you know, call your wife, call your kid, or, you know, do the group thing and, you know, go, hey, is it, who's out there right now, you know, and every, you know, where are you at? Check in and have maybe, if you have two or three kids, it'd be great, wouldn't it? If you could, you know, get them using, because most of these kids today are running around with better phones than their parents. And if you could pull it up and go, uh, you know, Tommy, Sue, and Bob, each one of you check in, let me know where you're at. You know, I'm over at Susie's. I'm down by the park. I'm at football practice, getting ready to go in. I won't be able to talk. I, I think that makes an impact on people. And that could be with your kids. It could be with a sport. It could be anything, any group of people. You could even use our network if you're, if they've got a person that's somewhat receptive and start saying, Hey, you know what? This is free. You know, you could set this up and everybody in your family in a time of emergency, even if the cell networks are down, as long as there's an internet connection that you could jump on a Wi-Fi connection, everybody can still talk to each other. And that means that if only one person is in a place where the cell networks are down, which is far more likely, by the way, that that's the only person that needs to find an internet connection and everybody else can still use the existing network. Um, or if that person can get maybe a text message out to somebody or whatever, then one person can relate. And all of a sudden, the person's mind will open because now they're seeing a practical application of something. You haven't even said the word preparedness or survivalism unless you're taking them to our channel. You're just showing them a, new, a cool app. And when they, this will almost indefinitely leave. Well, that would be great if something went wrong. See, and this is how you get people on board with preparedness. You get them thinking for themselves instead of you trying to cram information in. The human mind is a remarkably complex and at the same time very simple thing. It's something that as a salesperson uh, in the past, you know, you, you learn a lot about if you're going to be an effective salesperson. And by complex, I mean... Think of all the wonderful things that human beings can do and figure out. Just on the Zello session this morning, I got like four great potential show topics and all kinds of material to use with them, and that was groupthink. That was the complexity of the human mind. But I can tell you what else, uh, the simplistic nature of the human mind is it works by a series of rules, and when you understand the rules and you don't violate them, you can break it down to a simple level. So let's tell you, let me tell you what would not have worked with that group of gentlemen that I was having that conversation with this morning. If I got on there and said, by the way, this is Jack, and you know me from the Survival Podcast, and every single one of you better today do X, Y, and Z, or you're a dumbass, they would have all said, you know what, Jack, we've really had enough of you, goodbye. And they might have turned off and never came back in. I wouldn't do it as a social experiment because I might not get the opportunity to uh, to apologize and say, "Hey, it was just the it was just a gimmick. It was just to see." But, but why is that the case? It's not just arrogance, and it's not just overstepping and claiming to be something I'm not. Like I'm so smart, I know what every single one of you should do. That's that's pretty arrogant. But it's just the way that the mind works. Whenever you're trying to force information into a mind, that mind will lock up, and the harder you push. The harder you shove, the harder you argue, the, the complexity of the mind will be utilized to solidify the simplistic nature. So all of the calculating ability, realize when you're dealing with another human being, even someone you think you're smarter than, you are dealing with the most advanced computer known to, to, to science. There is nothing as advanced as a human brain. Nothing that can, that can move at the speed of a human brain. Uh, now, you can take a computer and you can make it mathematically move faster than the human brain, but if you throw multiple things at it, there's no computer that can sit with a pen, write down a note while saying different words and picking up a cup of coffee, taking a sip of it. 
putting it back down like I just did right now. And I wrote a note about making sure I turn the AC off when I, when I leave the office today while I was talking to you. There's not a computer that can compete with that. So you're dealing with a computer with equal capability of your own. And if you're in push and they're in block mode, you're at stalemate. That's why people can't sell. That's why people can't sell ideas. Because they, they, they think that way. I'm going to shove this information in. So what you want is the person coming to you to a degree with, hey, well, how does that work? And you also have to understand that this isn't life insurance we're selling, right? Actually, it's, it really is, isn't it? It's, actually, you know what? It's not life insurance. Life insurance is something that pays off when you die. Life assurance is what pays off while you're living. And that's what we're doing here is lifestyle assurance. Well, the life insurance salesman knows very well, because he's trained this way, that if he's going to sell life insurance, it needs to be a single call close, which means I must walk in, convince you that you're going to die, back up the metaphorical hearse into your driveway, let you look at it, let you smell the dirt that one of the two of you guys are going to be buried under and the other one's going to be left behind. If you're married, i got to have your spouse there, and i got to leave with a signed application. The odds of me getting a sale, if I'm good at what I do and I'm talking to the right person, are probably 30 to 50% uh, in any individual qualified lead that a life insurance salesman goes in and does that hard sell on. Uh, there's another 50% of people that aren't, aren't you know, that they're not gonna, you're not gonna sell to. Some of them are people like me that'll go, just get your, get out of here. You know, if I need you, I'll call you. And you've ruined it now by doing that. But there's a very strong close rate for qualified leads. That's why they do that. As preppers, we should not be emulating that. We should be using long sales cycles to sell the idea of prepping. All you're doing is warming up the audience on the first contact and letting it be and, and planting a seed and letting that seed cook. So if it's Zello or anything else, it doesn't matter. You know, the big thing I believe in is using their existing interests. And one of the, one of the folks on the session said that. If a person is already into hunting, then talk about the self-sufficiency aspects of hunting and how much food do they actually bring home and what's the cost of gathering it. Is there any way that they could see that they could gather more food for less money without paying to go on private land? And what are the limitations there? And, you know, what type of gun do they use? And would they see it as a means of defense? And, you know, have, you know, have they ever actually relied on their food, you know, the food that they've gathered to cut the grocery bill? And has that been successful? And all of a sudden you're down the path, all right? If the person's a backpacker, well, you same formula, same scenario. If the person's into communications, then that's another example of, you know, how would this work in a situation where the grid was down, and what would you do if that... See, and it's, it's not, you know, the big thing that I want you to take away from is to do the exact opposite of what they do on reality TV, and I'll get to that a bit more later. But on the non-reality TV... The person that's, you know, and understand these people have been abused, and I'll, I'll, again, I'll go into it deeper later for those that maybe have not heard the backstory on it before, but the person has been forced to perform as an actor far more than a reality, uh, you know, reality report on what the person's doing. But some of them actually, there's not a lot, they don't have to, the producer doesn't have to do a lot to get them to do this part of it. They'll say something like, well, when the U.S. economy collapses, There will be people starving to death in the streets and everybody will be scrambling everywhere to get whatever they can and the people that aren't prepared will go out and try to steal from the people that are prepared. That is not, not what to say. First of all, because you don't know that it's going to happen that way. That's the first thing. You just don't know. We need to use, when we're talking about possible scenarios, words like could and might. A better way to put that would be, you know, Just looking at everything that the government's been doing with money and debt, I think it's possible that we might see a major recession or even we might see the currency itself revalued or, or, or somehow even collapse. And if that happens, it might be a good idea to be prepared because there might be a lot of people out there who, um, you know, aren't prepared. And I, I would think that most people really aren't prepared. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? And then let them tell you what they think. And then listen, you always have to put the mind into receptive engagement mode, right? You want somebody in a conversation that's bi-directional, two directions with both ends open. Unfortunately, when you use words like, when X happens, Y will be the result. When the collapse comes, everybody will starve. 
if you break that person's comfort level with that, even if you fully believe that, uh, even if that person inside fully believes that, if they're not ready for it to be that blunt yet, the, 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 the part of the brain that allows the simplistic bi-directional conversation that's an information exchange that says, I'll take this info in, I'll give you what I think back, and I'll think about it and see where it leads me, because that's a reasonable way for humans to communicate, shuts down. And all of the complex structures of the brain begin to delve back into the past to come up with any single thing they can to block what you're saying. So don't use absolutes. First of all, because you just don't know. We, I mean, I tell you all the time that it's a mathematical certainty that the current economic system at some point must fail. And then I follow it up with, I don't know when, I don't know exactly how, and I don't know exactly what it will look like. Because I don't. Because the reality is, we're talking about something that's actually never happened before. I want you to realize that, and that could be really bad or maybe mitigate the circumstance. We don't know. There's never been a nation as powerful as the United States in the history of the world. You know, Whether you think that's good or bad doesn't matter. It's a fact. There has never been a nation with the military and financial power of the United States. It's not the Roman Empire, folks. The Romans didn't have nuclear, nuclear weapons. The, the, the Romans didn't have an M1 Abrams. The, the, the Romans had nowhere near the wealth in the hands of the average citizen or the wealth that the poor has in the United States. The poor are wealthy in this country. Now, if you're poor, that's hard to believe, but if you take people from a lot of the developing world into what we would consider you know, the projects or even a ghetto in the United States, they'd go, wow, those people have a lot of stuff. They have electricity. They have a house. They have a roof. You know, and and they and, and, and what what they're on the government pays for this, right? And, and it's not a great way to live. It really isn't. But if you are currently living in a box, in, in, in a refugee camp, it looks pretty daggone good. The poor, based on comparing them to the impoverished in the rest of the world, are wealthy in the United States and other developed countries. So we've never had a situation before where a nation with this much power and wealth distributed among this many classes of people has ever entered a point where their, their economy can truly not just shift but fall and have to be rebuilt from the ground up. So that might mean that when it happens, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, or it might be with so many resources and so much redundancy and so much opportunity that we have really critical hotspots where things are very, very dangerous, but we have a lot of the rest of the country where things are pretty much held together, times are tough, but things get rebuilt much faster. We just don't know. We, and that's, you know, or we could have complete chaos. We just don't know. And anybody that tells you that they do know is either lying to themselves or lying to you. Because it's far too complex to know. So don't use those words because it's, 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 it's destructive in two ways. One, it paints a picture that, that may not be accurate. So it, it tells the person, do it your way, or they're screwed, which, is, which is means they're just not going to do it anyway. And two, it shuts down the conversation. You want the conversation up. You also want to use a lot of low-resistance examples, especially early on in these conversations. Early, really, these aren't conversations. These are relationships you're dealing with here. And hopefully they're long-term relationships with people that will become great members of your personal community. Um, and maybe they're only going to be 10% prepared, but I'd rather have a bunch of 10%ers around me that are you know, good people than a whole bunch of jackasses that are 50% prepared. Because if they're jackasses, when they run out, they're going to turn on each other. I don't want anything to do with people like that. I want people I can work with because there's plenty of resources here to work with if we're of a common mindset when things go south. So you want to you know, focus on that long-term relationship with people and use what I call low-resistance events as examples. Point out scenarios that no one can possibly say, are, you know, that can't happen, because they've seen it happen. Talk about storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, and talk about how sometimes after those events, people loot and steal. Talk about the fact that you know of a guy that was on this show, and if you haven't... Um, uh, listen to the episode. Uh, just search for Mark Halley uh, in the uh, subject box of today of the site, and you can find the show. Uh, Mark had his house burned to the ground. Well, not burned to the ground, burned severely. It was still a standing structure. They got out some of the stuff they could. They went to a hotel. 
A company came in to board up their house for them. That was their job, board up a house after it gets on fire. Now, again, these weren't some random people off the street. This was a company of professionals, we can use that term loosely, that that's their job. When a house is burnt or damaged in some way and it needs to be secured after the fire department has smashed windows and sprayed it down with water, they go in and they board it up. There were some things that were salvageable in the home. And guess what the people boarding up the house did? They stole the last of Mark's family stuff that was worth anything. And then when other things were taken out and shipped, they were also stolen. So even responders sometimes take from people in the worst situation. Most don't, but some do. And that tells us that the general public, uh, when they're down and out, may be more likely to do it. So use things that have really happened. Talk about the ice storm from 2011 that I'm talking about. That That was unbelievable, and it, I just want you to think for a minute. What if instead of being you know, 15 miles wide in some places and up to 100 miles wide in others, what if that storm had been shaped differently? What if instead of running from Texas to freaking Canada, the storm ran like a more typical, let's say, Arkansas to, to Pennsylvania and was two or three times as wide because it was more concentrated? Oh, that would have been a real mess for some people now, wouldn't it? And... Again, it's, there's almost nowhere you can live in the United States where you can say that weather is not potentially uh, going to cause serious long-term problems. If you're far enough south that you can say snow and ice are out, well, then you got hurricanes. I guess California can say we don't really get hurricanes in California, but you get wildfires, you get mudslides, and you get earthquakes. You know, in the rest of the country, the basic weather stuff is going to, you know, have have at least some potential to do you harm. Uh, people that live in more remote areas, you know, you can talk to them about, well, you know, you realize if the grid goes down, it's going to be longer before we come back up. The big thing is, again, to use these low resistance examples, talk about things that have actually happened, and then simply ask, you know, questions like, well, what do you think about that? What would you do if this happened in our area? How would you handle it? And when they give you their answers, use follow-up questions like, How long do you think that would work? See? Now, you're not going to them and saying, I think you should do these things. You're asking them what, you're giving them some relevant scenarios, things that are hard to argue with. You are asking them what they think about it. And when they tell you, you're asking them, do you think that that would be enough? Or how long do you think that would last? And, you know, when they say, well, we could probably handle a week. And you go, well, what would you do if it lasted longer than a week? And then, well, I don't know. Do you? Th and then, do you think it's possible in any way that we could go longer than that without assistance in a bad situation? See, do you think it's possible? I mean, I could honestly condense this show instead of giving me all these different ideas into uh, you know one minute. Yeah, don't give people things and say that they're going to happen a certain way. Ask them what they think would happen, and continue to ask questions to keep the conversation coming from inside of them. That's the real key here. And that's the key to selling anything, whether you're a missionary selling a faith or whether you are an insurance salesman selling a policy or whether you're a car salesman selling a car, is to let the prospect in, this, in the conversation, which is the one that you're doing the selling to, do the selling themselves. It's conversationally led. It's, it's, it's a slower process, but it builds long-term relationships. Successful salespeople do it because they end up being the person that, the person whenever they have to buy whatever that guy sells, they go to him. In fact, whenever they have to buy anything even loosely related to what he sells, they go back to him and say, do you know anybody? And of course he does, because that's what good salespeople do. And then they say, yeah, you can trust him over here for that and go talk to him. And here's his number. In fact, let me call him. For, you need some help right now? What is, okay, yeah, let me call him for you. Hey, Tim, I got this. Guy. Yeah, okay, here, here, and hand him a phone. And then that brings more value. And then, of course, now I've brought value with Tim, so Tim is going to do the same thing and reciprocate back to me. And you know what that's called? That's called building community. So when someone says to you something like, well, you know, what I've really been thinking about doing is getting a generator. Right. Hopefully, you know, someone that has one and you go, well, I haven't done that yet. I think it's a great idea. Why don't you talk to Tom? Tom's got a generator and I, I know you use these guys to put it in for him. And, you know, I, maybe we could talk to him together because I'm interested. I'm interested, too. So maybe I could talk to Tom and he could show us both how it works and tell us how much it costs and all that stuff like that. The, the big thing you have to do is you almost have to handle this the way that you do parenting a child. See, the biggest mistake most people make with their children 
is they see everything negative that the child does, everything a kid does wrong, and they're always on their ass about it. And what we need to learn as parents with our children is if it's not going to get them hurt, if it's not going to get them into serious trouble, sometimes they can learn for themselves and we just need to let it go. That's one thing we need to do. The other thing we need to do is we need to catch them doing anything we can right. Anything we can right. And whenever they do something right, recognize it. It takes, it takes probably 10 attaboys to counterbalance the negative effects of one Johnny, don't do that. That's bad. It takes about a 10 to 1 ratio if you're doing it right. And that means you got to look, re for some kids, at some points, you got to look really, really hard for the 10 to 1 ratio. But it's worth it. And that means when a new person, especially people with spouses that you're going to use this, this stuff to talk to your spouse about, who's not fully on board yet, when that person says anything that brings them to your side of the equation, Even if you see a hundred holes in how it's not enough, shut your hole uh, as far as responding with but, or that's really not, you shut up and say, that's a great idea. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's a great idea. Because you know what they're going to say? Really? You think so? You go, Yeah. And if they say, like, because here's what some people would say. Well, you know what? I have thought that it would be a good idea to just put a, at least a couple cases of bottled water in the, in the, uh, in the basement. Okay? And what you, you know, what you want, what you want to say is that informed preppers, gee, that's really not enough. You should think about water filtration and more than a couple cases and maybe get some water barrels or something. And did you know that your hot water heater, you could set it up with a low pressure, uh, back, 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 back uh, backflow preventer uh, that'll allow if there's a buildup of heat uh, for back pressure, but if it's just static pressure from the weight of the tank, it won't backflow and there's 50 more gallons. You want to tell them all this stuff, right? But you know what? They just took a, an amazing step, right? It's not like when you, you think about your toddler when they're first learning to walk. They pull themselves. They they pull themselves up. They don't even get up onto their feet. They just they grab the chair and they get up to their knees, And you get all, yay, Johnny, good, right? You don't say, hey, you know, that's not really going to get you across the room, John. Stand up and walk, right? It's a, it's a kid taking his first steps. This is a prepper child, in a way, taking the first step. They're pulling themselves up. They're pulling themselves up from a world where they've always been told that you're crazy to even think this way. They're taking that first step. That's not the time to beat them over the head with, do more. That's the time to go, yeah, you know what? They got it on sale down at Walmart right now. Don't even worry, it's plastic bottles, it's going to get an off taste, whatever, right? Here's what you do, you say, you know what, do you guys ever drink bottled water? Yeah, here's what you do, look, go down there, get a couple cases of it, and, uh, you know, how often, and, and get, get some information, help them do what they want to do, in, in, a, in a, a smart way. You know, that once it sits there for, let's say, a year, it starts to get some off flavors and all. So, once you do this, instead of buying the case that you always buy, the next time you go to the store, just buy three. And then when you go back the next week and get another case or next two weeks or whenever you go back and buy another case of water, bring that one home and take the old case and use it instead. And then put the one on the bottom and the next one on the top and then do it again and just keep doing that. And you'll always have two cases of fresh water in the basement. This is what's going to happen. Odds are they're going to do that. That's a very reasonable thing for people to do. And then they're going to sit there and they're going to look at it one day. And they're going to go, you know what? It feels good having that down there in the basement or in the closet or wherever it is. You know, water's pretty cheap. This week I'm going to buy two and I'm going to end up with three in reserve. And then they're going to feel good about that. They're going to come back and tell you they did it. And you're going to say, how's it make you feel? And they're going to say, good. Or what might even happen is maybe the water goes off for a day and they have it and they use it. And the best thing that could happen is it It's not quite enough and they run out, right? All you're trying to do is get them, and it could be water. It could be the person saying, you know what, it's probably a good idea for us to at least just stack the pantry deeper. Tell them how to copy can. Whatever they want to do, don't take it to another level. Just tell them how to do what they want to do at the level they want to do it at efficiently. So with the water, instead of saying all this other stuff that's true, by the way, All you've said is, well, for that, see, and you've left out this part. Well, for that portion as a first step, here's how you do it effectively. All you've said is, great idea, here's how you do it effectively. You leave that out. Let them come to the next steps on their own. 
Again, it's the baby pulling himself up. You know, he's on his knees now, and he's trying to get up on his feet. You don't say, hey, 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 slow ass, get running. Put your shoes on. Hey, tie your own shoes. Go outside, run a 50-yard dash, Johnny. I know, I know you're nine months old, but come on, let's go. Right? You don't do that with a kid. You don't do that with a person who's coming out of this, this, this shell that society's placed on them for so long, telling them that any step into this world is looney tunes. You don't do that. You encourage it. Now check this out. This is how you turn one of the most despicable things in, in the media today into something positive. The doomsday preppers, the doomsday bunkers. By the way, like I announced yesterday, they're going to do doomsday singles. I don't know what it's going to be next. Doomsday doggies. I, who, who the hell knows? But that's out there now. And people are watching it. And, and, and people are looking at it. And people are paying attention to it. You could start a conversation with them. Hey, have you seen this new show? And when they say, yeah, I've seen it or I've heard about it, you know, whatever. And say, so what do you think about those people? When they tell you they're completely crazy, here's, get this. This is awesome. This is how you can use me. You go, I know this guy that does a podcast about all kinds of like preparedness stuff. And he talked to the producer of one of those shows and the man told him that he has no integrity, that he's doing this just to make a buck. And this guy also knows some of the people that have actually appeared on that show, and they're actually very level-headed people doing things in a very practical way, but the TV show has prevent, presented them as complete nuts because that's what they think the public wants to see. Do you know what the person's going to say? Who is this guy? Or they're going to say something like, well, that makes sense. Or that's what TV people always do. Go, yeah, and it's too bad because I think, you know, there's a lot of things out there that, that could go wrong. Maybe not the end of the world scenarios these guys are presenting. And, and maybe even some of those people are going a little bit extreme. But, you know, when I was watching that show, I was just thinking that, you know, most people couldn't deal with two or three days in their house without being able to go to the store. Get the conversation flowing. See, it, it can be a positive. I, I, I think that its overall effects is is far more negative, but I guess it all depends on how we choose to use it. I mean, I can't even watch the damn thing anymore. It makes blood squirt out of my eyes. But I'll damn sure tell people when they ask me about it, hey, you know what? I've talked to that producer myself. I've had his casting people contact me constantly. They want to feature me on the show, but I told them I'm not a lunatune nut, and I have no interest in them being presenting me that way. By the way, I know people who are on there, and they're not lunatunes either. But they sure were presented that way. They're looking for the most extreme examples. And then they're sensationalizing even that. But I think that it makes sense to plant a garden. I mean, see, and that's... Bring it back to real, genuine things. You know, talk to people about the... Don't worry about GMOs and herbicides and pesticides and everything unless the person is somewhat informed. When you tell somebody who has no idea who Monsanto is, no idea, has only heard GMO mentioned in the background on alternative news sites where they think all the crazies hang out, that the reason they should grow their own food is because their food has been genetically modified. They think you are out there. They're not ready yet. They're still the baby pulling themselves up onto their knees. They're not even on their feet yet, at least in that subject. It takes time to accept the fact that your government is poisoning you and the corporations alongside the government are poisoning you with food that's been genetically modified so that poison can be sprayed on it. Most of us in this community have woken up to that. We know that. But I want you to think back before you knew that. Now, maybe you're lucky you grew up in a family where like, your parents were enlightened people and they taught you this and it was common knowledge, but most of us didn't. And when you really think about it, when you say the government says it's okay, for a company like Monsanto to genetically modify a soybean so that it can be sprayed with a toxin, spray it several times during its cultivation, that material is actually taken up into the soybean and fed to you, and the same thing is done with corn and fed to you, and that's poisonous and toxic to the body. And there's medical research that's demonstrate demonstrated that it does do organ damage to the heart, the liver, and the kidneys. Conclusively demonstrated that. What you're actually telling the person and what they're actually hearing is that this is going on and it's sanctioned by government and it says it's okay and it's in every bit of the food supply. Which is what you're saying and it is true. But the person that's new to the concept of just putting more healthy food into their body, you're shutting them down. They can't go that far that fast. They can't. 
I'll do it here on the air because I figure by the time you come here and listen to this, the mind is open to the possibility that what you've told, been told all your life might not be true. So I'll go there with people right away on the air. I won't go there with people right away off air until I know that they're, they're open to it. Because that's, that's what you have to do. So the conversation about the food supply should start out with, man, I'll tell you what, the tomatoes we grow in our garden taste so much better than the ones at the store. That's how it should start out. Hey, well, you know what? We grow so much. Would you like some of our tomatoes this year? Yeah, and usually you're going to hear something like, you know, we've always talked about starting a garden, but it's so much work. And all. Oh, let me tell you about square foot gardening, man. All you need is a four foot by four foot garden bed. You can put it in for 50 bucks. You don't even have to dig the soil. You can build a box, you stick it in a level spot in your yard, and uh, you make a grid on it, and you mix up the soil. You just go down to Home Depot and buy vermiculite and compost uh, and peat moss and mix it together and put it in there. And uh, you can build this cool trellis. You need a couple of pieces of conduit and some netting. You get that, and the whole thing you can get at Home Depot, and you can do it for for less than fifty bucks, including probably buying your plants for the first year. I'll come over on Saturday and help you do it if you want me to. And you can grow some different stuff, and we'll trade off. And now we got barter. Now we got food production. Guess what? That little garden's going to produce more at some point than the people can even eat. And then they've got food storage. And gardening is a gateway drug to prepping. Isn't that cool? But whatever it is that gets the person moving in the right direction. You know, when you're fishing with somebody, just say, hey, you know, I'm going to take some of these home. How much fish do you think we could actually maybe put up this year in the freezer for winter? Before, you know, everything gets too cold and the fishing's not as great or whatever. You know, it's just getting people thinking. If you're, if you're able to take a walk with somebody pointing out edibles, that's a great way to get the conversation going in the right direction. So that means you gotta know yourself what's out there. You know, when you're able to say, yeah, you know those things over there with the white flowers on them right now? Yeah, those are blackberries. A lot of people have no idea. They know what a blackberry is when there's a big black ripe berry on it. They don't know how to spot them before they go, they go to fruit. And they go, oh, wow, I didn't realize there were that many of them there. Yeah, the trees in this park, by the way, those are pecan trees. If you come here in the fall, you just walk out here with a bucket and pick up nuts. They're probably going to say, how do you know all this? <laughs> well, you know, I, it's kind of an interest of mine. And if that's not your interest, then you don't, and there's all these examples I'm giving you. Don't go down that road just to go down the road. I'm saying take the things that you do that you know and make them practical to the people that you want to get on board with this. You know, and, and understand The group of people that you will have the most difficulty convincing of any of this is your parents and your 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 in-laws, not your brother and sister-in-law, your your mother and father-in-laws. Um, there is what Dave Ramsey calls in the financial sector powdered butt syndrome. Powdered butt syndrome works like this: if somebody has powdered your butt and changed your diaper, they're not big on taking advice from you, especially if it conflicts with what they've already believed and what they've taught you. So if your dad taught you, go to work, get a good job, stay 30 years, get the gold watch, believe in the American dream, go to college, invest with a financial advisor, max out your 401k, and your father taught you that. And understand, he didn't do it because he was misleading you, and some of those things were good advice for a time, for the right people anyway. He's just teaching you what society taught him. When you go back and go, college isn't for everyone, Right? I'm not staying 30 years to get the gold watch because the company has no loyalty to me. I want to build my own thing on the side. I don't trust the government. Then there's a huge resistance factor there. The only way to get parents and in-laws on board is through demonstration. And, and what I call passive demonstration. When they come to the house, feed them from the garden. You know, send them pictures of what you're doing. Don't even talk about it as preparedness. Never push, wait till they pull, because they're not going to be receptive unless they already are. Because they believe in the hierarchy, they are the source and you are the recipient of all knowledge. Very few parents are comfortable with being taught about life-changing things by their children. More should be, but very few are. Now, we'll let them teach us how to run a phone. Uh, we'll let them program the TV for us. Uh, we'll let them teach us how to work our new computer. We'll let them show us how the iPod works. And we'll be completely comfortable with that. Because it's, it's, it's kind of acceptable to us that they grow up with the technology and they know and they can show dad and grandma how to do it. 
right? But then if they actually use all of that intellect, all of that knowledge, all of that technology to reach out and find information that conflicts, we'll say, oh, no, can't do it. They'll close down. You're not going to change it. You're not going to change it, so you've got to go with it. And this is the big lesson about all of this. Every human being has boundaries, and you don't change those boundaries with force. It's not possible. If you are talking to somebody and you meet a point of resistance, and that resistance is, is solid. Let's say it's like, if you said to somebody, did you know that right now the, the, the corn that's in everything is soaked with atrazine, which is a herbicide? And they go, that doesn't seem right. That's not strong resistance. That's, well, it is. I can show you some articles on it and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a herbicide that kills off the weeds. And the corn is now grown in such a way that it, that this, this stuff won't kill the corn. Don't even say GMO, right? And, and so they spray it straight on the corn. And of course, anything you spray that's a liquid onto a plant, especially once it goes to the ground, when the plant, you know, takes moisture up, it goes into the plant, right? And they'll go, Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So it goes in the corn, and then you, once it's in there, you can't wash it off. It's not on the outside, it's on the inside. And that's why I don't like to eat anything with corn in it, and I like to get organic corn and things like that, you know, because, or grow my own, because it's the only way I can be sure, because all of the commercially grown corn is grown that way now. See, so you can have that conversation, but if you say, did you know, and they, they come up with that, no, no, that's just nonsense. Don't push. Don't push. Go to a different subject. You know, talk about football on Sunday. I don't know. Preserve the relationship. Don't push when you meet strong resistance. It will only increase the resistance. It will only strengthen the resistance. The, when, when two, two energies engage and they're in conflict, they literally suck energy from each other. I, I kind of like to swing now as to why we need to do this. You know, I, I get questions about it once in a while. And I'm hoping I'm reaching more and more people with this type of uh, a message today, it peppered in through all the episodes, so that you don't get yourself into a situation where it becomes very difficult, where you've already created the strong resistance. And I want you always to preserve the relationship. When somebody tells you something that basically says, I don't want to hear it anymore, I want, you to, I want you to close off the conversation, I don't want you to resent them or think they're stupid or say anything nasty to them. Always be positive. Always be uh, genuine with them. And, and always be willing to shift to, to a more friendly topic of conversation. But the reason that we have to do this is the fundamental reality on the ground is there are things that are going to go very, very wrong in the next few decades. There are so many things that could potentially go wrong. Even if the odds are long for each individual one, the odds that none of them will come to fruition, that we'll just skate through the next 20 years the way we skated through the last 50, is almost impossible. Between the resource strains, the shift in economics that's moving China to the, the dominant economic force in the world, and that is happening. And there's nobody even a, you know, saying that it's not anymore. To the debt that our cities, counties, and states have incurred, to the debt that our people have incurred, to the debt that our nation has incurred, to the, the diseases that, that have yet to even be discovered that have the potential for pandemic, for the general economic problems that we have just with unemployment to a declining population, believe it or not. We actually are in a, a point where the population is, it's hard for people to accept, but the population in most modern nations is going into decline. And people will say, well, that's, that's, that's a good thing, right? Because uh, they've been saying it's going to be overpopulation and all. And it, the reality is, in some ways, it can be a good thing. Less people drawing less resources, more earth-friendly, less of a problem to feed everybody, lower birth rates, intentional, not, you know, not caused, can be good. But boy, is there a growing pain in the middle. What growing pain? Oh, I don't know. How about when there's like, you know, instead of going to a one-to-one -one ratio, one worker to one retired person? What happens in a true decline over time where you end up with two or three retired people to one working? How does that work with a social security system? And the answer is, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work one-to-one. -one. And, and we know we're going there. 
But one to two, not two to one where it's two working to one not working. No, I'm talking one working to two not working. And then add to that the burden of people that are on unemployment or can't find a job or are on government assistance. I mean, even without a total collapse, you're heading to a pretty dark economy for at least a time until we get through that just on the fact that we have a birth rate in the United States that's under 2.0. You know, each, each, you know, each two people accounting for an average of two more children, not directly, but some people have three kids, some people, but I think it's like 1.63 or something like that. And people say, well, you know, the Hispanics are coming in and they're, they're having, you know, squirting out babies and that's, that's a temporary situation. It's a temporary situation. It, it won't be sustained. It's used as fear mongering to make people hate other people because the color of their skin's different. It's not reality. Don't buy into the bullshit. Right? Are there, are there families out there abusing the welfare state by having multiple children so that they can stay on assistance and larger amounts of assistance longer? Yes. What percentage are doing it? Small enough that it ain't the real problem. Remember that whatever one side of the aisle or the other in our government tells us is the problem is probably not the problem. None of them are actually interested in discussing the actual problems. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be messing around with 35-year-old Supreme Court decisions that are not going to be overturned ever and making that an issue in a debate for who is going to be a senator or congressman today if they were actually interested in talking about the real problems. If they were interested in talking about the real problems, we would actually be talking about the system that causes the debt rather than the number that is the debt. Neither side's solution actually does anything to stop the debt from growing. Do you understand that? I, I hope so. Neither side does. Neither side. If we did every single thing that the Republicans that claim to want to cut spending want done, every single thing, and at the same time, We went over to all the tax increases that the Democrats wanted and did those. So we did all the cutting the Republicans want and all the taxing the Democrats want. We would still not begin to reduce the debt. All we would do is slow its growth. Because why? The money is debt and the debt must grow and the devaluation of the dollar must continue. And if it was one side or the other could fix it, we wouldn't have a graph that shows the value of the dollar beginning in 1913 and declining by over 97% to this day. And it didn't like stay really, really good and then fall off when Bush came into office or when Clinton came into office or when Obama came in. It's a pretty linear decline. It does get steeper and steeper as it goes down, and that's not good for the future. So there's all of these things that you guys are aware of, and this is why we need to talk to other people. Not just because we don't want them to get hurt, but because we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other in this huge shift. Um, in the permaculture world, they call it transition. Now, some of those guys are a bit airy-fairy is the best way I could put it, or hippie, you know, hippie-ish. And they think of transition in a different way than I do, and that's fine. But we, what we agree upon is that there's going to be some type of transition. Some believe that all the oil will run out and that will cause... It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Not in the foreseeable future. There's a lot of oil out there. There's a lot of ways to get a lot of other oil out of the ground. There's a lot of natural gas. There's a lot of coal. And despite all the BS that the uh, the current ass clown in chief makes about, you know, we're not going to do this and make it all dirty or whatever, they're going to do it. They will burn down the last oak tree to fire a generator before anybody turns off an Xbox. That's how much damage they're willing to do to keep things the way that they are. And everybody that's in the offices that talks about doing something about it, 1% of them are actually genuine. 99% of the people running our government don't give a shit about any of the things that they talk about. All they care about is power and money. And you can look at the track record to see that that's the case. Not because I say so, not because I'm jaded. Just look at the track record. Look at the debt of the country and the value of the country's dollar. Look at it for a hundred years. And you can see very clearly the direction it goes. Down. Doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter who holds the Senate or the House or the presidency. Doesn't matter. Value goes down. Debt goes up because the two are pegged to each other. And between that and the other things that are going on out there, sooner or later this has to come to a head. 
Maybe we don't have the peak oil that everybody thinks about where there's no oil left. What we have is oil that is now priced in such a way that we're paying $12, $13, $14, $15, $16 dollars a gallon for, for gas. Sounds incredible. Sounds that's not possible. Yeah, go back to 1994 and tell somebody, you know what, soon one day you'll be paying five bucks a gallon for gas. And when it goes down to three bucks, you'll be happy about it. You sound like a loon. How do you sound today? You sound like, well, duh, that already happened. It's just a progression of things. And as we have more and more of this reality coming to a head, people are going to only take two paths, actually three. Panic, ostrich, or prepare. That's one of the three they're going to take. And you want as many of the prepared around you as possible. Your next choice is ostrich, and the last people you want are the panics. Right, the, the the ostrich is just going to pretend nothing's going on, and they're going to turn into a panic if they're not surrounded by a lot of prepareds when the situation comes to a full head. The panics are the ones that are going to cause the real problem. In most disasters, there is enough stuff out there that we could we could get by until things can be kind of start to be reassembled, but it's when people go ape and start destroying things that we have the real problems. And the only way to counter that is to have certain areas where people are prepared enough to go, you ain't doing it here. You want to go burn downtown down? That's people's problem downtown. That's police department's problem. That's the sheriff's problem. But you're going to come here. It's our problem, and we're not letting it happen. What gives me hope for this country is that we have freedom of speech. You know, Nancy Pelosi wants to change the First Amendment, by the way, to what, what it actually means. <laughs> More on that at a feedback show in the future. But for now, we have the First Amendment, so we can all talk to each other. Two, we have amazing methods of communication like the Internet and, and Zello to be able to communicate across and get this information out. Three, we're an armed society. An armed society is a polite society. And you can only have so much looting when you start going into neighborhoods and you know every other house is armed. Um, four people are waking up. And five, we do have a lot going for us here in America. For all the things that we've done foolishly, we have a lot of natural resources, we have a lot of smart people, and we can deal with the shift. But how long and what it gets to look like, we don't get to determine that. Events and fate and reality will determine that. But what I know is I want as many people around me that are ready to deal with it as possible when and if it occurs. And if I live so long as to the point where it doesn't happen in my lifetime, and people say to me the way I think they did to Mel Tappan uh, toward, toward the end of his life, well, did you waste it? I would say absolutely not. I lived a better life in case times got tough, and even if they didn't. I love the way I live. I love the mentality that I live with. I love being able to take care of myself. I love not being uh, willing to accept a lie because of fear. I love being able to, to, to feed my neighbors. I love watching my neighbors as I've been working on this garden look at me like I was a little bit nuts because of the giant mustard and oat grass growing on the side of the hill up into this huge pile of weeds and coming by yesterday and looking at this huge pile of mulch I just put down into a garden bed where I planted cantaloupes and watermelon and then asking me again about this hoogle whatnot thing that's gonna, you're not gonna have to water much. Yeah, I love that. I love knowing I can take care of myself, defend myself, defend my wife. I love being a, a true gentleman and knowing that if somebody insults my wife, they've made a mistake they're only going to ever get to make once. You know, I love living the way that my grandparents would have wanted me to live if they were alive to see me living this way today. And I love the fact that probably my great-grandparents would even be more proud because... My, my grandparents were even sliding away from this concept. And the great-grandparents that grew up in the old country, you know, Ukraine on one side and Italy on the other, they knew how to take care of themselves. And they, they knew that even though technology would come, that continuing to have these older skills and knowledge would be important. I love the fact that they would be proud of me. You know, if people ask me what's a big reason to prep, because if your great-grandparents can look through the ether and see you, As a prepper, they would be proud of you. They wouldn't call you a survivalist. They wouldn't call you a prepper. They'd just call you a damn fine man or woman that knows how to take care of their family. 
See, that's what prepping really is all about, isn't it? It's about being able to look after yourself, look after your family, look after your neighborhood, and be a good standing member of your community. It's not about a bunker. It's not about a bunch of food. Those are things that may or may not fit into your lifestyle. If you live in Tornado Alley and you can afford something like a bunker, it's not a bad idea now, is it? I mean, have you seen pictures of Birmingham, Alabama and Joplin, Missouri? Is it overkill to have an underground structure if you live in a place like that? No. Of course it isn't. What's your family's safety worth? You know, a bunch of food is just a aspect of prepping. It's not what prepping's really all about. It's life assurance. It's it's assuring that you will be able to continue to live the best life possible no matter what happens. That doesn't mean that you're going to be so prepared that anything happens, you're going to be like, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. That doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean you're going to have the best opportunity to maintain what you have under even the most extreme circumstances. And you're going to be open-minded and open-sided to the future. And yes, concerned, but also optimistic. And that's the big thing that I want you to take away from today. That you need to pre- you need to present prepping is a very positive and very optimistic activity that positively impacts your life even if nothing ever happens. But boy, will you be glad you do it if anything ever goes wrong. That's how you open up minds. That's how you share what we're all about. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares.